If you're excited about the second coming of Christ, eagerly awaiting His return, does it show in how you live out your faith each day? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers six daily habits Christians should be putting into practice until the glorious day of Christ's second coming. From the series, Signs, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, The Return of the King. And thank you uh, for joining us today for the final part of the two-part message on the return of the king. Today we'll finish up uh, the 19th chapter of Revelation. By the way, next week we're going to talk about the millennium, uh, the the judge at the white throne, the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, We still have the rest of this month to teach on this subject, but we're, we're getting toward the end of it. And if you haven't already ordered your study guides, your CD packages, your copy of the book, the Book of Signs, please take some time today to go to our website. It's davidjeremiah.org. And there you'll find all this information laid out for you, understandably presented so that you can order it and have it sent to your home and be ready for your own independent personal study or to lead your own small group discussion of these items uh, we try to make this as user-friendly as possible. The chapters in the book, for instance, are written like articles in a magazine. And I hope you will take advantage of this to arm yourself with the truth about the future. Don't forget also that during this month, when you send a gift to Turning Point, we'd like to send you a copy of a brand new book. It just has been released. It's called After the Rapture. After the Rapture is a book that presents the truth of what will happen on this earth once the rapture takes place. And it's written in such a way as to be able to give it to your friend who may not know Jesus Christ and say, hey, you might want to look at this. This is what the Bible says is going to happen after the church is taken home to glory. You may want to know ahead of time what's going to take place. We think this is going to be used of the Lord to draw many people to himself, we hope, You will take advantage of it. You can get a copy of this book by sending a gift to Turning Point during the month of May. And when you send a gift, just ask for your copy of the book after the rapture. Well, here's part two of The Return of the King. Let's get started. In the Old Testament, when prophets looked out into the future, they often saw the future as we do sometimes in our journeys, especially across the West. They would look out into the future and they would see mountain peaks. But because the mountain peaks were so far away, it looked as if there were just one. It was only as they got closer to those mountains that they realized, oh, there's two here and there's a separation between them. The Old Testament prophets saw the coming of Christ often as one event, not understanding the difference between his first coming and his second coming. It is only as we get closer to that time in the New Testament that those events are separated. Oh, we see they're not the same. Over and over in the Bible, you will see this happen. In fact, one scholar has written these words. He has written that in one verse, millenniums can be found with no explanation of the separation between them. Words spoken in one breath and written in one sentence may contain prophetic events millennia apart in their fulfillment. So when you read these Old Testament prophets and for a moment you say, now wait a minute, that happened when Jesus was born, but this hasn't happened yet. That is a prophecy 
that is seen through the eyes of an Old Testament prophet. And it's all true, but it is further defined when you get closer to the event. That's a very important principle of interpreting the scripture. Well, we have looked at the anticipation of Christ and of his advent and the armies of Christ and the authority of Christ. Now let's talk for a moment about the avenging of Christ. We've already pointed out that when he comes back, it's to avenge his enemies, to avenge himself of his enemies. Verses 17 through 21 of Revelation 19 remind us that when Jesus comes back, there will be a war, a war that will be like no other war, and it will be very short in its duration. The way that the prophecy describes the war is to describe the aftermath of it, and it's very similar to the battle of Gog and Magog. First of all, we read this passage about the fowls of heaven, the birds of the air, Notice verses 17 and 18 and verse 21. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. And all the birds were filled with their flesh." What John sees in his vision now in Revelation is something too awful for words. The fowls of heaven, the vultures of the earth, come to Armageddon. And the word translated fowls or birds is found three times in the Bible. It is the word arnon, and the best translation of the Greek word arnon is the word vultures. What the scripture says is that after the battle of Armageddon, when the Lord Jesus comes from heaven with his armies and he smites the rebellion that has been raised up against him, there will be such a total destruction of humanity that all the vultures in all of the universe will be gathered for what the Bible calls the great supper of God. Have you ever seen that? Did you know that in the 19th chapter of Revelation, there are two different suppers? In the early part of the 19th chapter, there is what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb is the celebration of the wedding between Christ, the bridegroom, and his bride, which is the church. I have made a reservation for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to choose one of the two suppers in the 19th of Revelation, I suggest you choose the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the marriage supper of the Lamb, there is rejoicing and fellowship and a great meal. In the supper of God, you are the meal. You don't want to be there. The Bible gives us the option. And he tells us in his word that his judgment will be great and severe. And then we notice at the end of this section, not only the fowls of heaven, the birds, but the foes of heaven. And I have to tell you, men and women, this is one of the most unbelievable sections in the book of Revelation, in my estimation. For the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 19 that when Jesus and the armies of heaven come back through the open door and down to this earth to execute judgment on all the rebellious nations, that the Antichrist and his cohorts decide they will fight against him. Notice what it says in verse 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Now I have to tell you, up until this point, even though you totally disagree with everything the Antichrist has stood for, 
You had to admire some of his charismatic personality and his ability to sway the masses. But this is the dumbest thing you will ever read about in the Bible. This creature of God who was created out of God's hands. Satan is a creation. Did you know that? Satan is not the opposite of God. God created him and gave him the freedom to rebel. This created being has decided that he will fight against Almighty God. And he gathers his armies together. They no longer are worried about Israel. They're no longer worried about the other nations. The word is out that the king of glory is returning to earth. He's on his way with his armies. And so the Antichrist decides, let's go after him. Let's put him down. This is the culmination of all of the rebellion which men have leveled against Almighty God from the very beginning of time. How ludicrous is it for the creation to rebel against the creator. And in this moment, in this moment at the end of time, that rebellion will be quelled and it will be over. And in this time we see the futility of fighting against God and the fatality of the beast and the false prophet. Notice verses 20 and 21. Then the beast was captured. Who is the beast? The Antichrist. And with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. When the Antichrist and the false prophet and the armies that have been gathered together to fight against God and against Christ... One of the first things the Lord Jesus will do is to cast the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire, which is hell. These two satanic creatures go to hell before Satan does. Because the Bible tells us, look with me if you have your Bibles at Revelation 20 and verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, listen, here's how this works. At the end of the tribulation period, the beast and the false prophet are cast into hell by Jesus Christ. They are confined to hell because of the rebellion against God. And after that, the Lord sets up his kingdom on this earth. How long does that last? 1,000 years. And clear at the end of the 1,000 years, Satan is judged, and he is cast into the lake of fire. And the Bible says when he gets there, he looks around, and the beast and the false prophet are still there. They've been there for a 1,000 years. They're still there. They're still suffering. Nothing has changed. And what this says, for whatever it's worth, is that hell is not the annihilation of the spirit or the body. We talk a lot about getting eternal life, and in some respects, I need to tell you that everybody here has eternal life. Some people have eternal life unto heaven and some people have eternal life unto hell. But let me say this to you. You will always ever be alive somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. There's a doctrine out there today that says when you die, you are annihilated. But I'm here to tell you that the false beat and the prophet were still alive a thousand years later when Satan was cast into hell where they had been placed. So you see, hell is not the annihilation, nor is it purgatory. In this place, you don't ever get out. There's no back door to hell. Hell is the final consignment for wickedness. And in hell are the beast, the false prophet, and Satan. Now, if there weren't any fire, which there is, if there weren't any brimstone, which there is, if it wasn't eternal suffering, which it is, 
How would you like to spend eternity with Satan, the beast, and the false prophet? They're the heroes of hell. No one talks about hell much anymore, have you noticed? I mean, they say it in swear words, but they don't say it in church. The preacher never talks about it. Martin Marty said hell disappeared a few years ago and nobody noticed. But hell is hell. And it's in the Bible. In fact, there's more about hell in the Bible than there's about heaven. And somebody said, well, pastor, you shouldn't talk about hell. That's not positive. Well, let me tell you, it's positive not to go there. (laughs) Amen? And if nobody ever talks about it, if nobody ever says it's real, if nobody ever says this is the place of final abode for those who reject Jesus Christ, it is not fair to those who come to a church to hear the truth, and part of the truth is carved out because it's hard to talk about. I don't want to preach on hell every week, and as you know, I don't. But when I come to it, I want you to know I believe it. I believe it's an actual place. I believe it is fire and brimstone, and that a person who ultimately rejects Jesus Christ as their Savior will spend eternity in hell. Now, whether we like it or not, that's what the Bible says. Somebody said, well, I don't believe that. That doesn't change anything. (laughs) You can't make something untrue because you decide not to believe it. You say, well, that's not my doctrine. Well, I'm sorry, it's God's doctrine. And if you want to know the truth, the truth will set you free. (laughs) And the truth is that you don't have to go there. (laughs) The truth is that Christ came into this world to keep you from ever having to feel one single burn from hell. He came to save you so you could go to heaven. And if you go to hell, it won't be anybody else's fault but your own because you will have had opportunity to receive the gospel. And if you don't receive it, that's not the fault of Almighty God. He made it available. But he will judge sin. And that's what we need to understand. That's what the second coming will do. It will initiate the judgment of this world. And a part of that is hell. Well, that's where we are. Christ has come back at the end of the tribulation. He's going to set up his kingdom. And in his kingdom, he will rule in righteousness. He will rule with a rod of iron. There'll be no uprisings during the millennium. (laughs) The Lord God himself will be king. Jesus will sit on the throne. And the Bible says that lions will lay down with lambs. And men will take their implements of war. And they will destroy them. And out of them create implements of agriculture. And the Bible says that the nations will study war no more. And for a thousand years, the Lord will demonstrate what happens when a righteous king rules over this earth. That's what the future is all about. And I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts about today. You see, the Bible is very clear that when we get a picture of the future, it is so that we can understand how to live today better. Studying prophecy is not just so that you're smarter about what's going to happen someday. Studying prophecy should fill your heart and your soul with a new urgency to serve God. And what I'd like to do today as we close is something I think is very practical. Over and over and over in the Bible, especially in the New Testament epistles, whenever the second coming of Christ is mentioned, there is a personal, current application that is made. And I've chosen seven of them from the epistles, and I just want to show them to you. And I think you'll understand where I'm going with this as you get these. First of all, because of the second coming of Christ, we should refrain from judging others. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of hearts. 
then each one's praise will come from God. The Bible says that one day the Lord God himself is going to come back and then he will set everything straight. So don't spend your life while you're here on this earth trying to judge the motives of other people or judge what you think is right about them or wrong. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't confront evil. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go to somebody who's not living right if the Lord lays it upon your heart and tell them because it's evident and obvious. But you know what? The, one of the favorite indoor sports of Christians is to walk around making assumption judgments about other Christians. Let me ask you this question, and I think you'll understand what I mean. How many of you have met somebody, maybe even at Shadow Mountain, you met them, and you didn't have a very good impression about them? I mean, they didn't really do much for you. But over a period of time, maybe you got in a small group with them, or you were in a Sunday school class, or you sang in the choir with them, and you got to know them, and you found out, man, these are really some great people. And you realized you made the wrong judgment the first time around. I won't ask you to raise your hands, because I know it's just about unanimous. The Bible says, go easy on the judgment because you don't know everything. But there's coming a day when the one who does know everything, who even knows the heart will come, and he'll make the judgment. Leave it to him. How many of you say, I'm willing to do that? I'm willing to leave the judgment to the Lord because when he comes back, he'll make it right. That's a good point to make at the end of a series of prophecy messages. Number two, we should remember the Lord's table. And in the book of Corinthians, it says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so when we have communion, as you know, we look backward at the cross, we look inward at our hearts, and we look forward to his coming. So by having communion, we are being obedient to the really true statement that Jesus Christ is coming back, and we're doing this until he comes. Thirdly, we can relate to one another in love. It says in 1 Thessalonians 3, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The Bible says that because he's coming again and because we're all going to be together for eternity and we're all going to be in that grand army that comes back to this earth, the Lord willing, why don't we just learn to get along with each other now? Why don't we just learn to love one another now? We're all a part of God's family. Let's realize that since we're going to spend eternity together, we might as well start working on a relationship while we're here in this place. Amen? I mean, you say, well, yeah, I know he's a Christian, but I don't like him. Well, learn to like him. Because, my friend, you're going to spend forever with him. You might as well start working on it now. Amen? Number four, we can begin to commit ourselves to ministry. And if you'll pause for just a moment, I'm going to preach a little sermon to myself. This is directed to the preacher, to the pastor. Listen to this, if you will. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Almighty God, through Paul writing to Timothy, has exhorted the preachers has exhorted your preacher that one day he's coming back and he's coming back, it says, to judge the living and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom. And as you wait for that, preacher Jeremiah, preach the word and do it in season and out of season, whether it's popular or not, whether it's a season of popularity or a season of unpopularity. Rebuke, it says, and convince and exhort. These are all incredibly intensive statements. And do it with long-suffering, because they're not going to get what you're saying sometimes. 
and teaching. Ladies and gentlemen, that's my commission from God. I am to preach the word of God, whether it's politically correct, whether it's positive, whether it makes you feel better when you walk out of here than you did when you came in, whether it is something that is going to be judged as good and positive, or whether it's going to get under your skin, whatever it is, just preach the word. That's why my commission is simply to say, what do I preach next? I preach what is next in the Bible. That's the application to me. Now, here's one for you. Since you enjoyed the one to me, let me just tell you the one for you. (laughs) I heard my sermon. Now you listen to yours. This one is really practical. Listen to what it says. We must refuse to neglect the church. Notice Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day are we talking about? The day of the Lord, the day of his coming. Here's what it says. That as the day of the Lord draws near, we're to encourage one another more and more and we're to assemble ourselves together more and more. We're to come together as God's people more and more as we see the day approaching. We need one another as the time approaches for the second coming because the world around us is coming unglued and we need each other. Can I get a witness? We need each other in our small groups, in our church services, in our choirs, in our Sunday schools. We need one another. I need you and you need me. And if we don't understand that, we will be discouraged most of the time by what's going on in the world. I don't know about you, when I leave here, I'm tired as I can be, hungry as a bear, but flying high because I've been with the people of God. And I just am so filled with encouragement to see you and be with you. I hope that's the way you feel. That's the way we ought to feel. And that's why as the day approaches, we need to work harder at our relationships and at our ministries and at our coming together. Let me just come to the last one quickly. We must reach the lost for Jesus Christ. It says in Jude, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. What should our goal be, class? It should be to take as many people to heaven with us as we can. Let's don't go there by ourselves. Let's reach out and embrace as many folks as we can. Let's tell them of the love of Christ for them, of his death upon the cross, of his willingness to receive anyone, no matter what we've done, if we'll just come and ask for forgiveness. And let's tell them that the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself has said, no man comes to the Father except through him. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have forever to go out and reach the lost. The opportunity to do that is now. Amen. And friends, that's why we have uh, extended Turning Point through radio, television, and social media all over the world. Recently, we um, began uh, televising the ministry of Turning Point in the Ukrainian language in Ukraine. And uh, we have now started to get some feedback from people there. This is from Sergey from the Donbass region. Here's what he wrote. I'm in the middle of fighting on the front lines, and my family keeps sending me programs to watch on my WhatsApp messaging platform to keep me from losing my faith. The things we have to do and see could cause anyone to walk away from faith. But I stay rooted watching these programs. It's hard not to fear, but I take courage knowing that Christ has won the most important victory. Thank you for these programs that we can watch in Ukrainian 
my comrades and I like watching Turning Point. Even some of my friends who aren't Christians are watching along with me. They say it calms their minds. Please pray for us. I'm Sergey from the Donbass region. God is touching people around the world with his truth. And friends, when you give to Turning Point, as so many of you do, you make it possible for us to do this. We don't believe Turning Point is a collection place. We're just a channel. We take the resources that God sends to us, and we turn them into radio programs and television programs and social media messages and books and tracts and anything we can find that will help people know about Jesus Christ. In this upside-down world, what a great hope Jesus brings. Thank you for your part, and have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God blessing you with this ministry? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series Signs right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. How would you define the difference between character and reputation? Horace Mann, the well-known advocate of public education for children, wrote his college thesis on the subject of character back in 1819. He once said, Character is what God and the angels know of us. Reputation is what men and women think of us. I assume by his words that he valued character over reputation. 
Ideally, we should live so that what God knows about us and what people think of us are both positive. In terms of priorities, making sure God is pleased with what He knows about us should be our top priority in life. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover what God knows on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.